So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Habakkuk chapter 3. We'll be in verses 16 to 19. Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 16 to 19. If you're visiting us, it is found on page 834 in the Pew Bible. And if you do not own a Bible, please take that as a gift from us. So Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 16 to 19. May 10th, 1816, a man named John Charles Ryle, better known as J.C. Ryle, he was born. He was born into a wealthy family, grew up, he became a Christian at the age of 21. As an adult, he would serve as a pastor of a number of churches. He would end up being a bishop in the Anglican denomination. He was well known for his preaching ministry and for writing. And though he was well known, he was no stranger to suffering. See, in his 20s, he went from being rich to being poor. As his family lost all of the wealth. In the time of the 1850s in that decade, he lost his mother, his sister, his daughter, and his in-laws. Three times he was a widower, and at the funeral of his last wife, with deep emotion, he said, till the Lord Jesus comes, we part. He would go on to say later on that life has never been the same or the world the same ever since my wife died. Ryle would go on to live 11 years. Afterwards, he grieved greatly, and yet he wasn't hopeless. He continued to labor in pastoral ministry, continued to visit the members. He would spend great time with his family. He would have great joy in the midst of the pain that he endured. And the question I want us to consider is, How does this happen? How can one have joy in the midst of the grief? We need to know. Because in life, there are a few things that are certain. And one of the few things is that we will suffer. It comes to all without exception. It doesn't need permission, and it doesn't come with a warning. Many of us may suffer in varying degrees, but we need to know how do we endure without despairing. As J.C. Ryle's life illustrated, as this passage in the back of would show us and as scripture emphatically declares, that we can endure suffering with hope solely by trusting and hoping in the Lord alone and his promises. It is solely by trusting and hoping in the Lord and his promises. That is what we will see in Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 16 and 19. If you're able to, please stand for the reading of God's word. 
I heard and I trembled within. My lips quivered at the sound. Rottenness entered my bones. I trembled where I stood. Now I must quietly wait for the day of distress to come against the people invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud and there is no fruit on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though the flocks disappear from the pen and there are no herds in the stall, yet I will celebrate in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord, my Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like those of a deer and enables me to walk on mountains for the choir director on stringed instruments. You may be seated. Our big idea will be phrased in the form of a question. How do we not despair in our suffering? How do we not despair in our suffering? Now, the text will teach us to be the two points. First is by God's promise being the object of our hope. Second is by God being the object of our joy. So how do we not despair in our suffering? It's by God's promises being the object of our hope and God himself being the object of our joy. So for a little bit of context, last time in Habakkuk, we saw the prophet go from pouting to praising, from being angry at God over everything that is happening in Judah, him complaining in light of God's response to him praising God and being in awe. He responded with a prayer of praise and supplication. And then he began to recall God's previous interventions on Israel's behalf where he rescued Israel and saved them and destroyed their enemies. And it led him to have a hope for future deliverance, which the Lord promised. In this morning's passage, Habakkuk knows that judgment is coming. He's dreading it, but he's not despairing. And why? It's because God's promises are the object of his hope. Verse, look at verse 16. He says, I heard and I trembled within. My lips quivered at the sound. Rottenness entered my bones. I trembled where I stood. So the prophet, he heard from the Lord. In response to Habakkuk's first complaint over injustice in Judah, God has made known in chapter 1, verses 5 through 11, that he sees the wickedness that's taking place in Judah and that he will judge. And that Babylon... This wicked nation will be God's instrument of judgment on Judah. God makes known that judgment and destruction is coming upon his covenant people for their unfaithfulness to the covenant that they made with the Lord. God lovingly called his people to repentance through the prophets. He warned them of judgment that was to come. He patiently awaited their repentance. 
They persisted in their rebellion, and so the Lord made known that his response to their rebellion is that he will pour out his covenant curses for their disobedience. You see, they have known his favor, and now they would experience his wrath. Habakkuk heard this, and it had physiological repercussions. He said, I trembled within. My lips quivered at the sound. Rottenness entered my bones. I trembled where I stood. Habakkuk was stunned. This news sucked the life out of him. He became weak. His strength was dried up. The scripture says that he trembled, and he emphasizes his trembling. For he says it twice in one verse. The book ends, I trembled within, and I trembled where I stood. He was speechless, undone. And y'all, the response is fitting. Because when you comprehend the severity of God's wrath, When you hear that judgment is coming, you can't help but tremble. You will be alarmed. It has physiological effects on our bodies. Think about the Lord Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. As he anticipated suffering for our sin on the cross as a substitute for us, the scripture says in Luke 22 that he was in anguish that his sweat became like drops of blood. You see, the message of judgment coming provokes trembling. It testifies to the holiness of God and the fact that we are sinners and that we've rebelled against him and that we stand guilty before him. Because the very God who we owe our love and allegiance and obedience, we have rebelled against And he is just. He will not clear the guilty. He will consume the guilty in his wrath. Beloved, his response to sin is not harsh at all. Instead, he is vindicating his holiness. He's displaying his righteousness. And the only way to escape this judgment is by being covered by the blood of the Lamb as he in his love sent his son to be the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world as Christ bore the judgment in our place as our substitute. You see, beloved, God is holy. His judgment is coming. And yet he continues to extend mercy now, which is why one of the most loving things that we can do is proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to unbelievers to tell them that they stand guilty before a holy and just God and that he offers mercy to all who repent and trust in him. We ought to implore them to flee the coming wrath by placing their hope in Jesus Christ. And so if you know yourself to not be a Christian, friends, I am glad that you are here. I want you to know, like, man, the judgment that is to come testifies to God's holiness and his righteousness. And the very same God who will judge is a merciful God who desires to save. He sent his only son 
to take the judgment that sinners deserve so that those who turn from their sin and put their faith in Jesus Christ will be saved. No more wrath over us, but instead we'll be adopted into his family, being a son and daughter of the king, reigning with Christ Jesus in the coming kingdom. He offers forgiveness and life. Friends, I would implore you to turn from your rebellion and trust in Jesus Christ today and be saved by God's grace. Habakkuk, he heard this news and he trembled. It was terrifying. And beloved, as we walk through life, we too will hear of terrifying news. Obviously not to the degree that Habakkuk was about to experience. Because by God's grace, judgment has passed over us since Christ bore it. But in this life, we will hear bad news. Because of the fall, we live in a present evil age that is marked by sin, suffering, and death. And beloved, we're not exempt. You see, the gospel doesn't exempt us from affliction. But it assures us that God is for us in our affliction. Because Christ was for us in his affliction, we can know for sure that he will be for us in ours. The Bible is not silent on suffering. Jesus himself says in John 16, to his own disciples that in this life you will have trouble. Trouble of various kinds, but trouble nonetheless. Beloved, we will hear and we ourselves will experience the news of hearing that of cancer, of an illness that is persistent and incurable. We will hear of a relative being in an accident. We will hear of assault. We will hear of war. We will hear of loss of life and loss of health that will lead to the loss of life. Beloved, this news will rock us. It may even lead us to have bodily effects like Habakkuk. It will confound us. It will burden us. It will cause us to tremble. In our distress, how do we prevent the trembling How do we prevent trembling from giving way to despair? Well, it's not by denying it. It's not by suppressing it. It's not by wishful thinking, but it's by hoping in God's promises. Look at what Habakkuk says. He says, now I must quietly wait for the day of distress to fall upon the people invading us. You see, the prophet, he is confident in God that he would persevere through the judgment that Judah will experience. You see, though Judah will be judged first, he knows that judgment will come upon the Babylonians. He is confident that he will endure it, the judgment on Judah, and that he himself will witness the condemnation that the Babylonians deserve. And the question is, why is he this confident? Well, he's not telling himself this as a coping mechanism. He is confident because the Lord has made it known. Think about chapter 2, verse 3. 
When God says, for the vision is yet for the point at time, it testifies about the end and will not lie. Though it delays, wait for it, since it will certainly come and not be late. It says, look, his ego is inflated. He is without integrity, but the righteous one will live by his faith. You see, Habakkuk, he recalled God's promise, and he, by faith, he clung to it. He knew that God is faithful and trustworthy, that God will not fail his promises. And God made known in chapter, five, chapter 2, verses 5 to 20, that he promised judgment on Babylon through the five woes. You see, the Lord knew the receipts of their sin, and he is promising to pour out his wrath on them. That day of distress came when the Medes and the Persians invaded Babylon and destroyed their empire, just as God promised. Y'all notice Habakkuk's confidence. He says, I must quietly wait. He is submitting himself with confidence to God's sovereign will. This is one who isn't trying to pummel God into submission. Instead, he has submitted himself to God, saying, not my will be done, but yours. In the midst of the pain that he knows that he will experience, he has hope. He has confidence and peace amidst the coming disaster. Y'all, this is the outcome of trusting God. You see, in our pain and distress, we can cling to God's promises by faith. And his confidence and submission does not mean that things will be easy. Doesn't mean that the affliction is light in a sense of easy going and I can easily get through it. But it does mean that we can trust God in the midst of it. It does mean that we see and know by faith that God is sovereign over it. That he is the God of all comfort who comforts us in it. That he will sustain us through it and that he would give us grace to endure it. Means that we can trust him that in his time, he will bring us out of it in his way. And we know by faith that he will because he has already declared what the end is. Isaiah chapter 46, verse 9 and 10 makes known that he declared the end from the beginning and he didn't conceal it from us. Revelation chapter 21 makes it known that when our king comes, there'll be a new heavens and a new earth. No pain. No mourning, no crying, no death, no disease. Everlasting joy and peace. You see, beloved, because God has already declared the destination, we can trust him as he determines the route for us. He is the one who leads us. And as he leads us, we should recall that he is good in all seasons in sweetness and in suffering because of who he is. He is a loving father, a compassionate savior. He is faithful. He is attentive to our prayers. You see, beloved, his promises must be the object of our hope because all other hopes will fail us. There is no certainty in any other hope outside of anything that the Lord has promised. Hope in other things will only lead to despair and hopelessness. It is standing on sinking sand. 
But God is faithful to all of his promises. He won't drop the ball on any. Habakkuk's peace and confidence, they are the byproducts of him believing God and his promises. And it results in a confidence in him. You see, God's promises give us hope. We can be filled with peace and joy and confidence as we believe what he has said. Romans chapter 15 verse 13 says, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you believe, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, in all seasons, beloved, we need God's word especially in our suffering. Think about what we sung in Dear Refuge of My Weary Soul. In our pain, we said, Thy word can bring a sweet relief for every pain I feel. And not only do we need his word, we need his people. In every season, especially in our suffering, for the saints to come alongside us, to weep with us, to enter the pain with us and to uphold us, to remind us of the truth of God's word, that our king is coming, that one day this pain will be no more and joy will be eternal. You see, beloved, like Habakkuk, we can go from fear to faith, from complaining to confidence by God's promises being the object of our hope. And we can also rejoice in our suffering by the Lord being the object of our joy. Look at verse 17. Though the fig tree does not bud and there is no fruit in the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though the flocks disappear from the pen and there are no herds in the stall. Y'all, this is a devastating situation for Israel. This is an agricultural community, and provision was about to be cut off. This would result in an economic disaster. Their livelihoods would be affected because food is essential. You can only go so many days without eating until you die of starvation. And Habakkuk makes known that this is comprehensive decimation. From luxuries like fig trees and vines to the essentials like food and flocks. From delicacies to necessities. And y'all, this is not figurative language. Oh, that was disgusting. My bad. (laughs) Appreciate that, baby. Y'all, this is not figurative language. Israel literally experienced the loss of provision as part of God's covenant curses for their disobedience in the Mosaic covenant. Leviticus chapter 26, verse 18 and 20 says, But if after these things you will not obey me, I will proceed to discipline you seven times for your sins. I will break down your strong pride. I will make your sky like iron and your land like bronze. And your strength will be used up for nothing. Your land will not yield its produce, and the trees of the land will not bear their fruit. God also says similar things in Deuteronomy chapter 28. You see, this is a dire situation 
And suffering is inevitable and it will result in discomfort. It could also lead to anxiety and the potential despairing of life. Think about hearing the news that one has been given only a number of days to live. Or a worsening condition. Think about hearing that you're going blind. It is natural and normal to mourn over these dissatisfactions of life. To cry. To grieve. Because the pain is real. You have to admit the hurt. But our grief doesn't have to be the only way that we respond. Because in the midst of the pain, we can still have joy. Habakkuk, he goes on to acknowledge the certainty of loss, knowing the discomfort it will produce. And in this loss, he says, look at verse 18, yet I will celebrate in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. In the midst of the affliction, Habakkuk resolved to rejoice in the Lord. Y'all, this could easily sound like a madman as if he is crazy, but he is not. Notice where he is rejoicing. He says, I will celebrate in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. He is not rejoicing in his situation. It is terrible. He didn't enjoy the loss of provision. But his joy wasn't in his ease, in his comfort, or in his convenience or his best life. And his joy wasn't in, in those things because his hope wasn't in those things. You see, joy and hope go hand in hand. You see, if our hope is in this life, then our joy would rise and fall like roller coasters. So we're glad when things are going well and we are hopeless when things are hard. Habakkuk's joy was in the Lord. He says, I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The horrifying circumstances he's experiencing didn't keep his gaze from being fixated on God. To where he can have joy and peace in the midst of the affliction. And why? Because God is good. He is the Lord. The one who makes and keeps covenant promises. You see, beloved, our pain doesn't nullify God's promises. It doesn't alter his character. His love is sure and his faithfulness endures. Habakkuk could rejoice amidst the suffering because God is the God of his salvation. He is the source of salvation. Given by grace, it is not earned or deserved. Habakkuk knew that the Lord delivered Israel from bondage in Egypt and from judgment. And he awaited a future deliverance that God promised, where he would deal with sin, he would give new hearts, he would save his people and eternally dwell with them. And his promise would come through the Messianic King. Habakkuk anticipated it, and it was accomplished through the Lord Jesus Christ. As Christ came, as he is the Messiah, he brought in the kingdom. He saved us by dying on our cross for our sins and resurrected from the grave. And all who are in him, whose faith is in him, we are in the kingdom now. We are saved. We have salvation. And we are awaiting our king's glorious return. And it's because that we have salvation now 
that we can always rejoice no matter what is happening to us. Beloved, our hope springs eternal. It is not circumstantial. It transcends our circumstances. Our joy isn't contingent upon what's happening to us now, but what happened at the cross and the empty tomb and what is to come because God has promised it. And he will make due on every promise. Every promise made is a promise kept. Again, notice where Habakkuk's joy is in. I will celebrate in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. You see, Habakkuk's joy was in the Lord and not merely in what the Lord gives. You see, when you enjoy God for God and not for what he gives, then you can rejoice in your affliction. Because in our loss, we still have him. And we have salvation by his grace. This was true of Habakkuk, beloved. Is this true of us? If God were to not fulfill, you fill in the blank. Or if he were to take away, you fill in the blank. Though you would grieve, would you still rejoice in the Lord? Or would you be done away with him? Beloved, if we're only rejoicing when things are good or in our comfort and never in our trials, though they are difficult, then the object of our joy is our comfort and not the Lord Jesus. And to be honest, you know, this passage, it rocked me as I was studying it this week. Because truth be told, there are times when my joy and my hope is not in the Lord, but in good health. And I'm anxious because my eyes continue to bother me. Because my body continues to twitch and I go to the doctors and they say that everything is fine and yet I'm still experiencing the things that I'm experiencing. And my wife can attest to it. When I go through that, she can tell you that, man, I am despairing. I'm out of it. I'm anxious. I'm worried. Because my hope is not in the Lord, but in having good health and having a long life. None of which the Lord has promised. It reveals that my trust is in this life. That's not to say that you can't grieve or lament or struggle with the dissatisfactions of life. Because the hurt is real. But we shouldn't be hopeless. Because our hope is in Christ Jesus. Our suffering doesn't nullify God's promises. You see, by God's grace, I don't think as a congregation we will fall prey to the prosperity gospel. But I do think that we must be on guard against believing a version of it. We won't verbalize it, but we will implicitly believe that because God loves us and that Christ has saved us, that we are exempt from trials. And the reason why I say this is because oftentimes when a trial comes, oftentimes our immediate response is to doubt God's love, to question his faithfulness and his care. Or we believe, Lord, if you did care, I wouldn't be experiencing this. You see, we assume that his love would keep us from trials. But y'all, God never promised that. He promised that trials won't separate us from his love. 
Romans chapter 8, verse 35 to 37. Paul asks, who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? None of those things sound good. And yet Paul says, can these things that we may experience separate us from the love? And he says, as it is written, because of you, we are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. He says, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. You see, beloved, God's love won't separate us from these things, but we will overcome these things by his love. See, though Christ has saved us by his grace, his saving work doesn't inoculate us from hardship and grief. The gospel doesn't preclude us from suffering and trials, but it precludes us from despair and hopelessness because Christ is our hope. He is the resurrected Lord who will return. You see, we can rejoice in the midst of our affliction, and we can do so, and as we do so, it's not a gladness in the situation, but a gladness in God despite our situation. It's because we're lifting our eyes beyond our circumstances to God who loves us, who cares for us, who is faithful, who is good, whose promises are sure, who is the God of all comfort, whose grace is sufficient, who promised to preserve us and sustain us in the midst of it and bring us to himself. We can trust him in the midst of our affliction no matter how painful it is. And it's not belittling the pain, but it's magnifying the God who strengthens us in the midst of it. Scripture makes this abundantly clear, that we could have sorrow in the midst of our circumstances and yet still rejoice because Christ has saved us. You see, our salvation assures us that we will only suffer in this life. And in the age to come, we will bask in glory. As the final words of the song, Christ is sure and steady anchor, and the calm will be the better for the storm that we endured. On that day, we will magnify God for his grace, seeing that how he has sustained us and brought us to himself. Scripture makes it clear that we can rejoice in the midst of our pain. Think about the apostle Paul. As he wrote to the church in Philippi, y'all, he's not writing in the comfort of a mansion. He wrote from imprisonment, from being imprisoned in Rome. And yet in that letter, he continues to talk about joy. He continues to say that he rejoices because his joy is in the Lord. He rejoiced in the God of his salvation. He knew that he has Christ and that Christ will return and he exhorted the congregation to rejoice in the Lord always. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul is unpacking the persecution that they received, and he would say, sorrowful yet always rejoicing. And why? Because his hope is not in this life. His hope is not in feeling better, but his hope is in Christ Jesus and the coming salvation that he will bring. In 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter begins with doxology, unfolding the blessings that God has given us in Christ Jesus. As he says, he is, by his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. 
to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. It is kept in heaven for us. He would say that in this, in this hope of salvation, he would say, in this you rejoice, though now you've been grieved by various trials. The congregation, those congregations could rejoice in the midst of their pain because their hope wasn't in this life, but in Jesus Christ, who will one day make all things new, who will one day free us from this body of sin, who would give us new bodies to wear. All that we experience, we will experience no more. That promise that he has given us is sure. And as we experience the affliction, we long for it more and more awaiting that glorious day when our king will return. You see, in our suffering, we can be real about the pain that we experience, and yes, at the same time, we can rejoice in the Lord, especially, especially, especially when we remember what is temporary and what is eternal. The Apostle Paul in Romans 8 says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he says this light momentary affliction. Listen to the adjective that he uses to describe his affliction. He's not belittling the pain, but he says that it is light and momentary in comparison to what? The glory that is to be revealed. We can rejoice in our pain as we look not to the things that are unseen, but to the, th- not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen, they are transient. We will lose them all. But the things that are unseen are eternal. It can never be taken away from us. Beloved, because we know the future as God has revealed it, we can endure the present suffering with joy and hope. Y'all notice how Habakkuk's faith has matured. In chapters 1 and 2, he's complaining over God's seeming indifference because injustice is prevailing in Judah. He hears from God that judgment is coming upon Judah through Babylon. He's questioning God once again. He's complaining, like, how can you do this? But here in chapter 3, he's celebrating. And, y'all, the situation hasn't changed. In fact, it has only gotten worse. And yet, he has changed. Habakkuk went from complaining to confidence to contentment to celebration. What God declared in chapter 2, verse 4, that the righteous will live by faith, he is experiencing as he is heard and trusted and submitted to God and his ways. He's knowing more of the peace that surpasses all understanding. Not because his situation is better, because he knows that God is faithful. He knows that God is a God of hope, and he is hoping in the Lord alone. Beloved, we too can go from fear to faith, from complaining to celebrating, as we set our gaze on God and recall his promises and trust him. This is part of what it means to live by faith. Look at verse 19. He says, the Lord, my Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like those of a deer and enables me to walk on mountains for the choir director on stringed instruments. 
Habakkuk could quietly wait and rejoice in the Lord as he was strengthened by the Lord. See, God has this power to do that in us. Think about what Paul said in Philippians chapter 4, how he learned contentment in every situation, in sweetness and in suffering, in abounding and in poverty. The secret sauce, he said, is that Christ was strengthening him. It wasn't him strengthening himself, but it was Christ Jesus strengthening him to endure. You see, the Lord strengthens us in our pain, and that is proof that he sees us in it, that he is for us in the midst of it. And the fact that he meets us in it testifies that he cares for us. And so he strengthens us. And the question is, how does he do it? Y'all, it is by the ordinary means of grace. As we dive into his word and study it, as we sit under the preached word, in our personal and corporate prayer, in the the fellowship with the saints as the Lord uses the body to bear our burdens, to fix our eyes upon Christ Jesus and the hope that is to come, as we remember his death and resurrection through the Lord's Supper, as we anticipate the king returning, he uses those things to strengthen us in this journey through the wilderness all the way until we enter into Jordan, the heavenly Jordan. He builds our faith and it spurs us on. You see, through the ordinary means of grace, he causes us to set our sights Godward on him. And because God has promised that his son will return, we know that we will triumph in the end. Because we are united to Jesus Christ by faith. He has saved us by his grace. All that is his that he has earned has been given to us through faith in Christ. To where this is not our home, he is preparing a place for us and we will get to dwell with him. Y'all, if we're going to rejoice in the Lord, we must remember these things. If we're going to rejoice in the Lord in our our suffering, we need to draw near to God through prayer. Being honest about our pain, casting our cares upon the Lord, and reminding ourselves that he cares for us. You see, if we're going to rejoice in the Lord in our circumstances, we're not going to walk by what we see. But we're going to walk by what he has said. We're going to walk by faith, knowing that he who promised is faithful. Knowing that he will be with us in it. We feel that he has abandoned us. He has declared that he will never leave us nor forsake us. We feel that he hasn't comforted us. He has made known that he is the God of all comfort who comforts us in our affliction. We feel that he has left us. He has made known that he is near to the brokenhearted and that he saves the crushed in spirit. Beloved, we need to be recalling these promises, holding onto them by faith and trusting him in the midst of it, knowing that he will get us through it. He will hold us fast in the midst of it, and he will bring us to himself. And not only must we remember these things, we must remind one another of these things. Because in our weakness, we are prone to forget them. We need someone outside of us to remind us of the goodness of God in the midst of our pain. To remind us of the love of God 